to die That he might give Eternal life That I might live Welcome to Yankee Arnold Ministries. Dr. Arnold will be with you in just a moment. But first, we want you to know how much we appreciate your prayers and financial support. You may help this radio ministry by donating online at yankeearnold.com or by mail at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Again, that's 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Feel free to send Dr. Arnold your questions or comments to yankee at yankeearnold.com, and he will respond as quickly as possible. Now, here is Dr. Arnold with today's message. Uh, Take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah, chapter 43. Isaiah, chapter 43. There's a lot of people that get a few things mixed up at times, and I'm, I'm one of them. I can't always see everything, but I do try to progress a little bit here and there as I read and study the Bible. I want to talk to you a little bit about tonight on the kind of people that you know God chooses, that he elects. You'll see that word mentioned quite a few times in the Bible, the elect, the elect. And sometimes the word predestination and for knowledge, and sometimes they can scare you half to death. But there is a, a really a simple explanation. I've seen a lot of so-called theologians who say, well, you can't understand the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. And I thought, why don't you just believe what he said, and then you won't have as much of a problem. God in his sovereignty chose to give us a free will. Now, what's the problem with that? If God is sovereign, can he do that? And so um, it does affect how you think as you go through the scriptures. So in Isaiah, in chapter 43, I want you to notice that there is someone that God calls his chosen, his elect. And if you see that, it can help you as you go through the scriptures because um, you don't find if you find it at all, where God chose or predestinated, called Gentiles the elect. But you'll find that many times referring to the nation of Israel, to his people, and so on. So here in Isaiah, in chapter 43, look in verse 1. But now, thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name, thou art mine. So we know from this word here, he's talking about the nation of Israel. He formed them, he created them as a nation, and he called them. And uh, you see, out of all the human race, God chose Abraham, not to salvation, but he chose him for a particular reason. He was going to be the father of the nation of Israel. And then one day, yes, God took him out and says, count the stars, told him about the seed that's going to come through his loins, that down the road the Messiah would be born. So he was specially chosen. 
And God's not a respecter of person, but God can choose to use somebody for his service to accomplish what he wants. When it comes to going to heaven, that's an individual choice that everybody can have and that God desires. But there are certain things that God has predetermined ahead of time. Look what he says there in um, verse 3 and 4, where he says, For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. I gave Egypt for thy ransom, Ethiopia and Seba for thee, since thou was precious in my sight. Now, there is a good possibility that this uh, thou art precious in my sight could be a reference toward the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah himself. Thou hast been honorable, and I have loved thee. Therefore will I give men for thee and people for thy life. Now, in the book of Psalms, in chapter 2, and also makes a statement in Isaiah 53, where the Lord is going to give us to the Son for his inheritance. In other words, what is he going to get out of this? So God has promised certain things to the Son, and believe it or not, it's us. That's why he says, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And he will not lose any of those, and I believe that's a reference to mainly he didn't lose any of the disciples while he was here, but one was lost, and that was Judas. But he was never saved in the first place. So there's a reason for that. Now, I want you to take and look down there a little bit further into the 10th verse. In the 10th verse, he's referring to the nation of Israel. Ye are my witnesses. Now, these are the really, truly Jehovah's witnesses. Because they are really the witnesses for Jehovah. And Jehovah's like to t- witnesses like to take this verse and apply it to them. It doesn't apply to them. It applies to the nation of Israel. Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant, whom I have, and here's that word, chosen. Israel was to be a servant. Israel was chosen. And there is a special group that God had determined was going to represent him as a nation. And they would be used by the Lord to bring the Messiah into the world, to bring the word of God into the world, and to be a nation that would be a light to the Gentiles. But, of course, Israel did not do well. Israel really messed up bad. And so then he says there in uh, the last part of verse 10, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. Now look at verse 15. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Now we know that this is a reference to Jesus Christ as the King, the Messiah of Israel. Now take your Bible and turn to the 135th Psalm. Just turn back to your left, 135th Psalm. And it's just one verse that I want us to look at. But I don't find where there's a scripture that guarantees Gentiles are elected to eternal life. But there is a reference toward the Jewish people being elected and chosen by God for service. And so he says here in uh, the 135th Psalm, look in verse 4. For the Lord hath chosen Jacob unto himself and Israel for his peculiar treasure. He has determined, he has elected this nation to be a representative of Jehovah to the world. And so 
when you see that and understand, it, it does help a little bit. Now, what I want you to do is look there in Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5. One of the greatest things God's ever done is, well, what would be one thing that would be greater than all the heavens and the earth that God has made, even man, the animals, the plants, the beauty, this whole world, that when it was all done, he says, it is good. Doesn't he? He says, it is good. What could be better than that? There is something, believe it or not, that's greater than everything God had created. And that was the redemption of man. Him redeeming a man is greater than all the creation of God. Because it took an awful lot to get this accomplished. It took longer than six days. It took several thousand years. And look at the people who played a part in this movie that God was going to make. And all the stars of the show. And it took, I mean, God was involved. The angels were involved. The devil is involved. All the people of all the nations, everybody's involved. It included everybody. What a program. And we get to be part of it. And we have roles to play in this scheme of things. So in the book of Jeremiah, in chapter 1, you know there's a statement that's made there about Jeremiah. And um, he was selected. Selected or elected, called, just like God called Abraham out of the early Chaldees. And then he made a vow to him. So when God made a, a covenant with him, it was an unconditional covenant because it was conditioned upon God alone. Now, there are other covenants that God made that are conditional upon man's obedience to what God had promised was going to happen or not happen. But this was something that God determined. And that's why he confirmed that covenant, not only to Abraham, but also to Isaac and to Jacob. And Jacob became Israel and the nation. And God says, you are my elect. You are my chosen. Not that they would be saved over somebody else being saved. That's not the issue. But God had something that was going to be accomplished here on the earth. Now, here in Jeremiah, it shows you that God has selected certain people to do certain things. And you look there in verse 4. Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Before thou camest forth out of the womb... I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. So it didn't say he chose him to be saved over somebody else. No, he said, I ordained you to be a prophet. Now, you can do a service that God wants because God, in his sovereignty, can choose certain people to accomplish certain things. Like when Israel got ready to have their first king, who's the one that actually chose their first king. God did. But he says, you got what you wanted. That's what you wanted. That's what you got. It was God that determined David was going to be the next king. There's a lot of things God determined. And when you understand that God is free to do that, because he's God, he doesn't have to ask our permission or in the beginning of time to bring us into his counseling room and say, now what do you think about this, Yankee? Well, I, I vote for it. Uh, our opinion doesn't matter. 
Now, there are things, many things that we get to make decisions on. And some things that we don't get to decide at all. But he makes this statement down through here. He says, I was like a child. And God says, I want you to be able to, you're going to tear down some things because you're going to build some things. And God was going to use them in a great way. But the purpose of God calling him was that he was going to be a prophet. A prophet to the nation of Israel. Look there in Isaiah chapter 45. Isaiah in chapter 45. Now you know I'm laying a little foundation work here because we're going to go somewhere in just a little bit. But in the book of Isaiah chapter 45, look in verse 1. This is in the Old Testament. This is talking about what God's going to do. He said, I'm going to even put his name in the scripture so that you'll know I told you before he ever is born. So he says in verse 1, Thus saith the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus. That means, now whether he knew the Lord or not, I'm not even interested. But that God says he has chosen someone who is going to be a king down the road, Cyrus, whose right hand I have holden, to subdue nations before him, and I will loose the loins of kings, to open before him the two-leaved gates, and the gate shall not be shut. I will, God speaking, I will go before thee and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of brass and cut in sunder the bars of iron. And I will give thee the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places that thou mayest know that I, the Lord, L-O-R-D, Jehovah, which call thee by thy name and the God of Israel. I want you to know, I created you. I made you a nation. I made a vow to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I promised even Moses that if you went astray, what I'm going to do to you. Now I'm going to bring a nation from afar, a language you don't understand. And they're going to come and they're going to deal with you. And then, of course, after God gets through taking this nation as a rod and chasing his children, then God's going to take somebody else and whoop them. And that was with the Medes and the Persians. Now look what he says. In verse 4, look at this word. For Jacob, and here's those words, my servant. My servant sake. For Jacob, my servant sake. And Israel, and here are those two little words. You ought to underline those two words because they're important because you'll see them later on and refers even to it in the New Testament. Mine elect. I have even called thee by thy name. I have surnamed thee, though thou hast not known me. So God is going to do a work, and he wanted them as a nation. But if they disobeyed, he's going to use them as an example of God pouring out his wrath upon vessels of wrath. And if they would obey the Lord, he would use them as a vessel of mercy to show his mercy and his grace and his loving kindness. That's why when you study the book of Romans in chapter 9, you'll find those illustrations that are mentioned right there in reference to the nation of Israel. So take your Bible and turn to the Isaiah 65. The book of Isaiah chapter 65. In Isaiah 65, just one little old verse, verse 9. And look what he says here. And I will bring forth a seed out of Jacob. And out of Judah, an inheritor of my mountains, 
And mine elect, those two words, mine elect shall inherit it. And my servants shall dwell there. In other words, what God had made as a promise to the nation of Israel, that he had promised them some land. And that they're going to have a kingdom. That they're going to have a king. Now, just because those things are presently set aside doesn't mean that God is not going to complete his promise or fulfill the promise. It doesn't mean that the church is supplanting the nation of Israel, that uh, we believe in replacement theology, that we are replacing Israel. Israel has a purpose, and God is not yet through with them. He set them aside temporarily, but individual Jews are still coming to know the Lord as their Savior. Now take your Bible and look in Isaiah chapter 42. Just go back a couple pages. Isaiah chapter 42. And you'll notice there in verse 1. And I believe a, a reference to Jesus Christ. Because in the book of Isaiah you'll find that there's many references to Jesus Christ, the Messiah himself. In verse 1, behold my servant... Because, you know, from the nation of Israel is going to come this seed, this servant. That's why in Isaiah 53, he also refers to him as my righteous servant. Not just a servant, but a righteous servant. So he says here, behold, my servant whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the, who? The Gentiles. So that's what God has promised. So he is the only prophet of the nation of Israel that the Gentiles have ever accepted. Because he said he will be a light to the Gentiles. Who else have we ever accepted from the nation of Israel as one of the prophets? Only this one. And that was Jesus Christ. So we believe that he is who he claimed to be and we accept that. Now, take your Bible and turn to the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians. Say, what in the world's a book of Ephesians? You've got to do it all of this. I knew you were going to say that. But we're going to go to Ephesians anyway. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, you'll notice there in verse 8. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, believe it or not, this is the same gospel message that was preached to the Jews. That is now preached to the Gentiles. But you'll also notice in verse 11. Wherefore remember that ye been in time past Gentiles in the flesh. Who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcisions. The Jews the Gentiles. In the flesh made by hands. That at that time. In other words there was another time when that was not the case. Ye were without Christ. Being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. Strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Now this is what God says where we are, where we were, and now things have changed. And it's changed because that one that was promised through the nation of Israel, the Messiah, has come. And he is going to be the light to the Gentiles and is a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Now, you'll notice there in Ephesians chapter 1, is a simple little division. And it first 
glance, you don't maybe see it or notice it, but it is there. Uh, For example, in Ephesians chapter 1, and you'll see some words that um, boils down to us and we. And then the other part of the division is ye and you. And when you see it, it, I think, helps to define these, this portion of Scripture. And so, as we go down through there, and just start in verse uh, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings and heavenly places in Christ. That is true for the Jew, and it's also true for the Gentiles. But we often take verse 3 and apply that mainly to the church. That's what was in heaven, and that's where we have been placed in Christ. But in verse 4, it refers to something that is according as he hath chosen us. See, in verse 4, as he hath chosen us. Now, just notice the words us and we. Chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us, the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of time he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ." Now you stop right there. Now you'll see the word us and we, us and we. But when you get to verse 13, it changes who it's talking to. You see in verse 13, in whom ye also trusted. So he's saying something different. Ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise which is the earnest of our inheritance unto the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of His glory. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you. Do you see that? The first 12 verses is talking about us and we. Then it changes to ye and you and your. Is there a possibility that there is a division here? Remember this, Paul was mainly an apostle to the Gentiles. Peter was an apostle to the Jews. Uh, The Jews were the circumcision, and the Gentiles were uncircumcised. And that's how they referred to each other. So now he is referring to those things that God had promised to the Jew. The Jew first, and then also to the Gentiles. Now, you'll notice that the last words in verse 12, where he makes a statement, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. I believe is a reference to the Jewish 
people. They were the first ones. And when he talks about in the book of um, Romans in chapter 1, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, it was that the gospel was taken to the Jew first. When he says to go into all the world and preach the gospel, first of all, he says that the Holy Spirit would come upon them. And when he is coming, ye shall be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea. Where is that at? Who do you think he's talking to there? And then Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world. Then you're reaching out to those Gentiles and all. So Peter was used by the Lord to reach the Jews first with the gospel. And it was a fulfillment of what God had promised in the Old Testament. That Jesus Christ was going to come. He came to the nation of Israel. He told the woman at the well, for salvation is of the Jews. And because they rejected the Messiah, now the gospel is going to all the world. Even us Gentiles can be saved. And so when you go down through here and you read this, it makes a little bit more sense. Only because when you get there in chapter 2, he's going to show you how that God has taken the Jews and the Gentiles and put them both together. You see, when he talks about here in verse 13, in whom ye also trusted, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye, Gentiles, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, just like the Jews were. So Jews and Gentiles are both baptized into the body of Christ. That's why throughout the gospel of the book of Ephesians, it's about being in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Now look what he says here in uh, verse 14 of chapter 2. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, Jews and Gentiles, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of two one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both Jews and Gentiles unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off Gentiles, and to them which were nigh, Jews. For through him we both, Jews and Gentiles, have access by one Spirit unto the Father. Remember when Jesus was here in John chapter 14, he said, I will ask the Father and he shall give you another comforter, that he may be with you forever. And then he says, and this spake he of the Holy Spirit, which they that believe in him should receive. That's mentioned more so in John chapter 7. When he made the statement, on that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, said, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. And as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. That was mainly on the day of Pentecost, the Jews. Chapter 10, when Peter went to the household of Cornelius, you had Gentiles. So Jews, Gentiles joined together and forming a one new body. So we are now being used by God. Israel as a nation is set aside, but it has not been cast away. They're only waiting temporarily until we have finished and God has finished with us. And then Israel will continue and God will take them right into the tribulation period. And by the time he gets through whooping them, they're going to be looking for the Messiah. Lift up your eyes for your redemption, draw off nine. And so that's what those scriptures are referring to.
Now, because of this, this is why you have now in verse 19. See that word now? Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. So Jews and Gentiles, we're all saints together. We're all in the same body. we got the same foundation. And that's why we can reach Jews and Gentiles. But it was to the Jew first. Were you ever told that you must confess Christ before men to be saved? Were you warned that if you refused to confess Christ, He would not confess you before the Father? Just what does that mean? Pastor Yankee Arnold has prepared just the right book with answers straight from the Bible. The book is called Gospel Driven Man, and Pastor Yankee wants to send it to you free of charge. Simply write to Pastor Yankee at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634, and request the book or request by email at yankee at yankeearnold.com. That's yankee at yankeearnold.com. Thanks for listening to today's broadcast. We pray that today's message was a blessing to you and your family. You may help support this radio ministry by donating online at yankeearnold.com or by mail at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Friend, one day it will happen. The trumpet will sound, and we will be changed, caught up to meet the Lord in the air. So live today and every day, believing that the Lord is coming soon, and just keep looking up. Amazing grace. Amazing